0: This is Abhivardhan from the Bharat Pacific. And here we are for, again, an interesting interview as a part of Bharat Pacific Interviews. Um, I'd like to introduce our guest for this session. We have Abhishek Mishra from the Observer Research Foundation. And with me, we have our co-host, Aditya Jaki. So let me introduce the guest quickly. As, uh, again, like we had in the previous discussion, we will be discussing um, unique aspects of our guest's work and the current paradigms as to, you know, how they have developed so far. So like in the previous discussion, we had discussed about G20 and the Indo-Pacific. This time, our focus will be on blue economy and Indo-African ties concerning the Global South and obviously this G20 presidency, which we have. Uh, We also have a very interesting update that India has obviously taken up the Security Council presidency as a non-permanent member for a month. So maybe certain aspects of security could be discussed. So um, Abhishek is currently um, an associate fellow with ORF's strategic studies program. He has pursued his PhD in African studies from the University of Delhi's Department of African Studies. Uh, His work mostly involves research in Indo-African relations. And I was trying to, you know, we have had Abhishek even before in our discussions for IGP. Uh, which was uh, the predecessor of Bharat Pacific. And uh, we have had discussions on Indo-African relations sometimes, but I think that um, beyond development and BRI and those things which we generally consider in Africa, I guess there are much more avenues which will come, which we should discuss when it comes to Indo-African relations. So Abhishek, welcome to the Bharat Pacific and it's a
1: pleasure to have you. Good afternoon, Ravivarjan and Aditya. Thank you. Thank you to Bharat Pacific for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Yeah. So I'll begin with a simple question for the sake of understanding of our viewers. When we um, look at Indo-African relations and we are not in the Nam era anymore. I mean, there is a different history which, which we share with countries like Ghana, Kenya and others in the Nehruvian times. But when we look at these times, like after Narasimha Rao, I would say under Prime Minister Modi under Prime Minister Manmohan Singh we see that uh, uh, India-Africa relationship per se is not just about a continent and a country named India it's about various African countries in the African Union uh, some of them obviously a part of the you know West Asian region such as Egypt and others and some of which who are a part of the you know uh, I, would say, I would say a relationship with Europe also very specifically for example Morocco and others but that's a different aspect to consider. Uh, When we uh, look at Indo-African relations um, in these past 8 to 10 years, what is the uh, key aspect which you find very much different between India and African countries when it comes to their cooperation, their joint projects and initiatives? What What is the key aspect which you find different apart from this initiative that India is a leader of the Global South, you know, and India can help better to let African countries grow since the United States is not able to help. Europe is not able to do much, although Europe is trying in its own way. And obviously there are predatory projects, pr- projects under, you know, the Chinese government. So what do you think about the key aspect of Indo-African relations, which maybe our viewers may relate with?
1: Yeah. Yes. So uh, when we uh, basically talk about India and uh, Africa, which are, both two very important and critical pillars of the global south uh we normally tend to refer to our you know civilizational links and our historical links the fact that india supported all the anti-colonial and anti-apartheid movements in africa and the amount of diasporic goodwill which we which india enjoys in the continent uh but i believe that uh since the last uh seven, eight or eight or 10 years, especially since the current administration, Prime Minister Modi's administration has taken charge, I believe that the most important change which we have seen is in the form of the political and diplomatic relationship. Uh, The engagement has been uh, continuous. Uh, We have systematically and in a sustained manner engaged with the African continent. Uh, The most uh, visible manifestation of that is in the form of the number of high level visits which has taken place from both India and African side at the level of President, Prime Minister, Vice President and and others. Uh, Over the last four or five years, more than uh, 32 uh, visits from the Indian side has taken place and over 100 visits from African heads of state and government have taken place to India. So the diplomatic engagement has been very sustained, and on top of that, uh, we are India is also planning to open uh, around eighteen to nine, uh, around eighteen uh, new resident missions in African countries. Uh, after the opening of these missions, the total number of Indian resident missions it will go up to forty-seven in forty-seven African countries. So that I believe has been the first important uh, aspect of the change uh, which we have seen over the last few years the second has aspect deals with the economic ties uh, trade has systematically grown uh, although the potential for more uh, the potential to develop is uh, vast uh, the trade current trade right now between india and africa stands at uh, nearly uh, 90 billion dollars uh, whereas investments stand at almost around 72 73 billion dollars now these numbers uh, yes, it can go up, but it's at the same time, given our capacity, given our own developmental challenges, which we face, uh, which we face back at home. Uh, I think these numbers are on the rise and it, uh, the trend is, it's a positive, it's a positive trend. Uh, we have introduced various new initiatives. We, India and Africa, we engage in three levels. Basically first is the, at the continental level, uh, with the African union. Uh, the second is at the uh, regional level uh, with the regional economic uh, communities of Africa. And the third is the bilateral level. Uh, in my view, India, uh, in the bilateral level, we have had the most success till now. But at the same time, we have uh, again regularly been in, uh, engaging the African Union and the African regional economic communities as well. We plan to do uh, very recently, India has a uh, free, uh, signed a free trade area with Mauritius, uh, which is the, which is the first African country with whom India has, uh, signed a free trade area agreement. And there are similar talks, uh, currently in the negotiation stage to sign similar FTAs with, uh, uh, economic communities like, uh, SADAC and, uh, COMESA, etc. So, yes. Yeah, so in terms of political, uh, the sustained engagement in terms of economic, the, the level of trade and investment has increased. Um, in terms of security aspects as well, uh, we have seen that we have initiated uh, some, new, uh, some new projects, like uh, the first ever in 2019 in Pune, uh, the first ever India Africa field training exercise took place, in which nearly 17, 18 contingents from 17, 18 African countries participated. Uh, Then, on uh, 2020, we started the India-Africa Defense Ministers Dialogue. Uh, Now, that has been institutionalized. uh, That takes place every year now uh, in concurrence with uh, the DEF Expo. So, it takes place uniformly every year. Uh, And the biggest uh, indication is the Kampala Principles, uh, or commonly known as the the 10 Guiding Principles for India-Africa Engagement, which Prime Minister Modi uh, enunciated during his uh, during his speech at the ugandan parliament back in july 2018. so these kind of basically these 10 principles uh, although they are not not something new but at the same time they indicate india's willingness to become a more serious developmental partner for the african continent
0: that's really interesting um, I'd like to have an interesting follow-up for that, but um, Aditya would like to ask a question. Yeah.
2: Yes. So uh, you have highlighted, like uh, you have highlighted that the trade volume is at the $90 billion and the Indian investment since 96, 1996 till the last fiscal years it was around $72 billion. But as the data shows, like most of these uh, uh, investments, especially last part of investment that India has done has been through Mauritius route, and uh, many suspect that large part of this amount may not have actually contributed to the African economy as the Indians would have liked to. And uh, in the last few years, we have also seen that there has been an African Continental Free Trade Agreement in Africa, and uh, the, the recent CIA report has actually uh, hope has uh, shown build in this in its report that maybe it will help Indian business and carry forward our investments to 150 billion dollars by 2030 this in uh in line with like uh, India's past efforts through Asia Africa growth corridor uh, which was an initiative with Japan and uh, India's line of credit uh, amounting to 12 billion dollars how much actual concrete work in addition to the development assistance pure business to uh, business uh, cooperation and pure strategic cooperation like uh, India's strategic investment in Sri Lankan ports or like uh, uh, in in the neighborhood like yesterday of financial times has said that India has uh, almost put for uh, invested 32 billion dollars including big uh, strategic investments by private sector in the Indian neighborhood so at that scale is anything is happening from India in Africa, and where does African Continental Free Trade Agreement fit in? Is it showing any benefits to Africa as an economy, and how does that
1: fit? So, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, so, see, yes, uh, you're right. Uh, most of our like India-Africa trade it goes through Mauritius because of the favorable tax regime there. But if, uh, but it's just not Mauritius, you know. In fact, like we have invested india has a lot of investments as you know in the textile and apparel industry in ethiopia uh india has recently again invested in the, in the oil and gas energy sector in mozambi uh, so the we it's not just just mauritius yes mauritius has the majority chunk of the indian investments but uh we are we are when india is looking uh, towards like other countries as well and, and not even not negating the west african countries as well and there is i mean see uh, as i said the potential is certainly there but there are like certain like proper primary constraints to you know increasing india africa trade and the most important constraint is the uh, there is very limited access to trade finance uh, there is a lack of proper you know financing mechanisms and uh, also very limited access to trade uh, related project finance etc uh a lot of it has to do with some of some uh, strict regulatory environment also in some African countries uh, that you know those tend to lead to international banks you know uh, withdrawing from certain African countries, etc. And uh, on top of that uh, in in addition to limited trade finance, there are some uh, transports and uh, logistical costs as well. The shipping costs are high, the insurance costs are high uh, when it comes to exporting to African countries and all these high shipping and insurance costs, it has led many, you know, many Indian inv- uh, exporters to sell on a many, you can say like a free on board basis rather than on delivery basis, uh, that, and uh, also the knowledge asymmetry between, uh, between Indian, uh, uh private uh, companies and the African public and private companies, uh, uh, this the knowledge asymmetry is mainly created you know due to a severe lack of you know proper dissemination of information and and also to an extent a completely a kind of a misunderstanding when it comes to you know our two geographies uh, having to know each other about each other's diversity both cultural uh, economic political social etc so these are like some reasons why uh, the trade has not reached its full potential and on On top of that, there are some other like practical reasons as well. Like sometimes, you know, um, even when an Indian company would be interested in investing, but, uh, but uh, the costs of, you know, like uh, leasing a land, suppose, suppose, for example, India and Japan, we have identified Kenya Uh, in Kenya. We are building a cancer hospital. Like similarly, like with, uh, with uh, United, uh, with Saudi Arabia, sorry, with UAE, we are building a center for IT excellence in Ethiopia. So trilateral projects we have initiated, but from the African side also, I mean, they need to do uh, some work. The stringent regulatory environment often uh, hinders such kind of investment as well. That being said, uh, the African continental free trade area, which you mentioned, that is very, very, very important. Uh, And that is where actually uh, it is going to create the world's biggest, like, free trade market for the movement of uh, for the movement of free movement of goods services and labor as well so once uh we know that the african free trade area it was operationalized uh on first uh first of january this year uh and initially they have started uh they have started uh trading intra in intra african trading is like starting to take off all because the currently the number the percentage of intra-africa trading is very low it's like dismal. it's almost just 14 or 15 percent something like that compared to you know like uh, over 60 percent for Asia or around 38 39 percent in Europe so intra african trading needs to improve and you know like the regional the regional production hubs needs to come up uh the so that we can see the the idea is always to you know, like take up manufacturing bases to African countries. It's the, the ultimate aim should be not just selling or exporting made in India products to African countries. The ultimate aim should be for Indian government and private sector, business sector to take all the manufacturing bases closer to African markets, set up manufacturing bases there and then you uh, make products which are targeted for the targeted products for the benefit of the local uh, uh, population, there, local uh, markets. So with African continental free trade area, we have like enormous potential. India has vocally come out in support of uh, African continental free trade area. Uh, we have already started a joint working group with their secretariat, which is based in uh, Ghana. Uh, So the ball is already rolling. It's just that for such a free trade deal to come up and for its ultimate benefits to show up, it's going to take some time. But I'm I'm confident that in the next uh, uh, half a decade or so, uh, uh, in the next four, five years or so, uh, I think the proper results will start showing. And uh, there has been some studies which has also indicated that after after the AFC-FTA has... Being operationalized, uh, there is potential for India-Africa trade to grow by nearly 10 billion dollars. So, in terms of like India-Africa trade, that's not a well, a, that's not a small amount. That's a decent amount. So, once once we have all these like networks set up in African countries, once it will be easier to you know travel from one African country to another. Once the air and transportation costs of African countries that will come down then indian business uh, persons will be more eager and they will be less risk averse towards investing in african countries
2: small brief comment on like how afcfta is being uh, received within africa domestically like how has been the general response to the idea
1: so afcfta basically i mean it marks a huge deal because see african countries you know if you if you like hear about them they are always you know uh, having any unified uh, you know uh, comment or anything like that you know, getting behind a unified project it's often difficult just because of uh, how difficult uh, how different all these uh, countries are just like our indian states from one state to another different languages different uh, different norms etc so the fact that these all these 54 countries they have come together and banded and operationalized this afcftf heated area that is indicative of a big success It's a big political success for the continent and very important one, I may say. And it has been received very positively. Yes, only, you know, only removing trade barriers won't do. You have to remove the non-trade barriers along with it as well. So that's why, you know, like borders have to be much more porous. If they have to, uh, the the, uh, transportation, uh, flight prices and all have to come down. It should be easier so that, you know, good services and uh, products can like... uh, seamlessly go uh, traverse from one part of the continent to another so it has been received positively uh, i am uh, wait i think around uh, around uh, uh, 41 or 42 countries have acceded to the agreement and around uh, 30 to 35 of those countries have ratified also the agreement uh, and all these like uh, include all the big big guns like south africa and, uh, Nigeria has initially had a lot of difficulties in accepting it. But at the same time, uh, you know, like now they have moved forward because concerns are always there, you know, like with such a project, like the small countries will feel that, OK, we we will we won't be the winners of it if we are, you know, coming under one system or something like that. But at the same time, it's like for the broader political goal, it's for the broader economic uh, resilience, for broader, broader objectives. Uh, it has been received positively. Absolutely.
0: So I'd like to uh, talk about the G20 and of course I'll then connect my question to Indo-African relations because I guess on the trade and economic front you have made really interesting points and I think uh, I, w- I was also reading in the past uh, some of your briefs for example a 2018 brief on uh, maritime cooperation in East Africa which is obviously you know correlated to the West Indian Ocean region. So um I'd like to ask about um, the recent event which was conducted by ORF, which was the Kigali Global Dialogue. So, um, a quite significant event in my view, I was thinking about it. And um, kind of a forum where uh, global and African considerations were discussed in a much different way. Because usually what happens is that when you have uh, forums wherein you have, uh, you know, governments or organizations from maybe let, let us say countries from the global north or so you know uh the tone and uh, i would say the generic theme of discussion remains at the same pedestal we know that they are very predictable and so forth i mean i'm not saying there's a large deviation but what does the dialogue do in my view is that um it offers alternative voices and alternative i would say uh discourses on you know africa the global context and what india can do so what do you think, what overall do you think about the Kigali
1: Dialogue? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, Kigali Global Dialogue has been a very unique initiative, which has been started by Observer Research Foundation. The first edition of it was, uh, took place in 2019 and the second edition, uh, it just took place uh, in August of this year, uh, Kigali Global Dialogue, basically, you know, it's, uh, hosted by Observer Research Foundation in Partnership with the Ministry of External uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and, and International Cooperation of Government of Rwanda and also the Rwandan uh, Convention Bureau uh, Kigali Global Dialogue uh, around over this year we saw the over 150 participants from uh, around nearly 44 45 countries participated and uh, the, this conference basically it brings together you know uh, policymakers civil society folks, academics, uh, academic practitioners, and also the private sector from around the world. Uh, And the aim and objective of it is to like deliberate and uh, devise, you know, solutions to some uh, critical, uh, sustainable developmental challenges, which which both India and the African continent faces today and the global uh, community faces today. Uh, this year's dialogue was very very interesting uh, because a lot of the focus we placed emphasized on you know how it's important to rethink multilateral institutional uh, financial architecture which is at place and in order to basically better serve the developmental imperatives of the global south of african countries of india as well so we uh, the question of global governance and what even prime minister modi has reiterated in terms of like reformed multilateralism why it is so important for uh, for the voices of you know like nearly uh 2.7 2.8 billion the combined population of india and africa why is it important that we can't leave african voices and indian voices from outside uh outside the decision-making table and that is why you know uh that is why india is i mean under his g20 presidency india is uh, supporting officially supporting the inclusion of uh, African Union as its uh, 21st member, because uh, right now it's only South Africa, which is a part of the G20. And we know that Africa has uh, 54 African, there are 54 countries in the continent. So only South Africa, it's uh, can't represent all the voices of the entire African continent, West, North, East, etc. So that's why, uh, and you know, and the By including the African Union, it's also it's only going to echo the type of, you know, representation that the European Union also reflects as a member of G20. We know that the European Union is a member of G20, but there are countries like uh, France or uh, Germany or even Italy who are members in addition to African Union, uh, in addition to European Union. So the possibility for, you know, South Africa, then African Union and in the future, some other African country also joining. And making the G20 or G21, G22 is there uh, because because like see, I mean, it's it's a very opportune moment for India to support Africa's inclusion. The G, I mean, African Union's inclusion, because we have seen that like for for India, uh, you know, Africa, uh, Af- the African continent's development, it is very fundamental and very central to Indian own foreign policy goals. And it it is in fact in many ways a prerequisite if the world you know if the global order is to become truly multipolar. Uh, we have again we have promptly and vocally always supported African representation in all these multilateral organizations. Uh, in fact, even our external affairs minister, Dr. S. Jai Shankar, he also like said that like he uh, he also said that like India's belief is that you know Africa's growth and uh, progress uh it a uh, it is intrinsic to any sort of a global rebalancing so i believe uh yes so g20 is a very very important i mean this our indian presidency here and uh supporting africa's inclusion african union's inclusion is it's come at a very opportune moment and i hope that uh it comes true also during our presidency yeah so, here is a
0: follow-up now. Um, this follow-up is, is one in... Uh, since you referred development, um, there was one of the interesting themes in the dialogue, which was a multipolar world, the geopolitics of development. Now, you made the... I would say you gave the complete picture of how development-related co- cooperation is important. We discussed about, you know, trade and economic affairs and, of course, uh, why it is important... To uh, you know, you know, deal with the non-trade issues. So when we uh, take into consideration the idea of a multipolar world, we already know what you know, uh, Honorable uh, Dr. Jashankar, you know, the India's External Affairs Minister says, and even his book explains the idea of a multipolar world. We are way beyond the Eurasian concept of multipolar world from Dugin and others. Now, India also has its own idea of a multipolar world. There's existing literature. But I'm curious to ask you about uh, the Indian-African aspect of it. And the reason I'm asking is because uh, now that India is trying its best way through governments, through the private sector and others, to help Africa grow and sustain itself in a better way, which will take time, as you said, half a decade. And it will take some time to, I would say, reap some results. What do you think uh, is the shift in... I would say, let's not talk about shift because that's later uh, we can discuss, maybe. Uh, what do you think is the African perspective on multipolarity from a development point of view, from a security point of view? And maybe we can then, you know, jump to G20 and maybe
1: the UNS presidency. What do you think? Yeah. Yes, particularly like uh, for... G20, when it comes to G20 and Africa, if we are talking about that. The f- The focus is like not new. The focus has always been there. In fact, the focus was initially the initial any sort of initial reference was, I think, made way back, I think, in the Toronto summit in uh, 2010, uh, during which, you know, like African countries, they sought financial support through, you know, concessional lending to the to its bank, uh, multilateral bank, the African Development Bank that was promised during even despite the you know the 2008 of course the financial crisis uh, uh african countries i mean see they have always consistently they have been invited to g20 summits it's just that like all these sort of engagements also it eventually coalesced into a g20 compact with africa under that was started in under the german presidency i believe uh back in 26 20, 2017 uh so g20's focus on africa and or what or, or how african countries they want how currently they are viewing this compact or their their views on multilateralism it is not something new uh, and and from the indian side also india sub india has always also supported because we uh, there is a you know we have supported the common african position which is in support or in favour of you know two permanent african members for the U- at the united nations security council and three non-permanent members at the at the UNSC as well. So India has officially supported. It has come out officially. There are it's documented in our MEA's website as well. So we have supported the Common African Position, and all this is basically stated in the Isulwini Consensus and also the CETA Declaration of the African Union. So the focus is not new. Uh, it's just that that under Indian presidency, this is the most opportune time. The moment is now for India basically to, you know, step up its game. We have been doing a lot of initiatives, but it's actually the time for India to step up its game and, you know, distinguish itself as a real alternative, a real partner who can make a difference in the African continent.
0: Yeah. Um. Aditya, feel free to ask. Yeah.
2: yeah. Now I would like to focus a bit from the micro issues of development cooperation to more macro these days we call it like the grand projects or like the uh, intercontinental connectivity projects. Now, recently there has been a series of reporters saying that China under its BRI like, uh, has been kind of mellowing down, it's, especially since the pandemic, it has not yet focused on the revival of new projects or like a series of funding to the existing projects and all. and like. I mean, several reporters said that China has kind of stopped some of its work under BRI. And uh, today I read the report, uh, like uh, one of the China-Africa research initiatives at John Hopkins University saying that, a lot of the reporters saying that uh, it's the debt trap diplomacy and all, uh, is kind of uh, misinterpreted. Uh, it says that it is just a rising economy trying to unwillingly or exuberantly giving funds or like a debt, at, like without checking properly and just misallocating its uh, financing. That is what it is. So how do you see this attempt at like, creating new narrative with respect to BRI, especially about Africa, it is trying to say. And how do you think Africa will try to receive this? Where does African perspective of this financing stand? And second complementary question is, in adjacent to this, like again, I mentioned this before, There has been uh, a lot of talk about how India is stepping up its game in terms of infrastructure financing in its neighborhood. How does India's infrastructure financing fit in Africa, especially that now EU has started its global gateway network and India EU has in the past few years talked about like cooperating on these projects in Africa. So where is this moving? So thanks.
1: Yes. So, uh, okay. So for BRI, uh... Yes, uh, there has been a lot of reports that, uh, especially after the economic uh, impact uh, from COVID nineteen the pandemic, there has been a recession in terms of you know taking on a hesitancy in terms from the Chinese government side in terms of taking on new projects or investing. So the all the days of you know like uh, China like throwing around lavish money, not just in Africa or even Latin America for that matter, or in our neighborhood, that is gone. But that is only gone for the short term. In the medium to long term, I personally believe that it's again going to come back. Uh, and the concerns about this debt trap diplomacy, the thing is, see, we are aware of what's happening in Sri Lanka. But I personally, in my opinion, I as I mean, as of now, as of now, there has not been any uh, phys- uh, any evidence of any like physical asset seizure when it comes to China or you know, China uh, coming and uh, occupying this port or that port or taking this or that into account. So there has not been any evidence. That's not to say that it may not happen in the future. That can very easily happen. But the problem is that the the type of clauses, basically, the type of clauses which China puts when it comes to uh, their uh, contracts and the opacity and the non-transparent nature of these contracts, uh, there is hardly any accountability uh, what happens is it's a Chinese government, the Communist Party, CCP. They negotiate with the African uh, governments. It's G two G strictly. The uh, in, and when they come up with all these contracts, uh, what they do is they put all these non disclosure clauses, which which forces the host country to obey obey them. And on top of that, if they they also have clauses like if if there is a dispute during the project or something then the dispute will be settled by a court in china only back home so normal, naturally then then you know then the, the problem arises as to okay will they be biased then in their final decision or, or something or the other like that so the opacity and the non transparent nature of the clauses that's a genuine concern but as far as like you know like uh, china saddling all these like poor uh, host countries, poor African countries, or something Latin American countries, uh, throwing a lot of money and in return asking for collaterals. I mean, see, in terms of, I mean, having collaterals. By the way, is like not a practice which only China does. It's a very common practice. It's just that as of now, it it suits it suits the Western narrative. It suits Indian narrative to. Talk about debt trap diplomacy, and there are legitimate concerns. Uh, it's, but we shouldn't assume that you know uh, African countries, or I mean, the nego- the negotiating team which their governments are sending are, I mean, so bad at their job that you know they completely you know, overlook or bypass any like any even properly like, glaring difficulties. Yes, I mean Africa. I'm mean, that is not to say that Africa doesn't have its problem. It, in fact, has a lot of a uh, lot of human resources problem as well in terms of capacity. And India helps African countries in those regards as well uh, in terms of like project preparation, preparing them for projects, et cetera, conducting uh, environmental, um, you know, sustainability uh, surveys, etc. So uh, India helps them. China is just that it's coming up with all these like uh, opaque uh, contracts. So that is where the problem and that is where the negotiation between, you know, in, in this regard after any particular African country and China that would have to be much more transparent and the civil society African civil societies they also need to come up and the youth and civil society they need to come up and play a bigger role uh, it should I mean any, any we can all agree that any sort of a uh, any sort of a con- uh, contract should be open for public scrutiny, right? If you're not doing that, then suspicions will arise. Naturally, it's bound to arise. See what's happening in the Standard God's Railway uh, contract in Kenya. Uh, now, with with the new government, under William Ruto's government, uh, they have now disclosed the some few parts of the contract, which uh, of the Standard, Rail, uh, Standard God's Railway contract with China. And that is, again, it has again taken The African social media by storm and naturally uh, Indian Indian media and the Western media is obviously pouncing on it and there are certain there are some glaring problems in that contract it's just that it needs to be addressed but strictly in terms of debt trap diplomacy or any physical asset seizure I don't think there has been any evidence as of that as of now and uh, yeah. sorry, can you just repeat your second question? You okay. Yeah,
2: like uh, the uh, there has been a recent EU initiative in terms of global gateway network, right, to build infrastructure. And, and India has also in the past kind of uh, uh, shown its interest in building such infrastructure for connectivity connectivity infrastructure, especially like power plants and uh, roads, railways, etc. And EU has talked about cooperating with India. In, in addition to like, uh, it's kind of similar to what uh, we try to do with Africa, Asia-Africa growth corridor. But this is not as institutional as it is it's more like a, tra- a third pa- country project between eu and india so especially india's cooperation in that
1: yes so uh so the potential for again the potential for trilateral projects all these like two plus one projects uh is huge i mean we are in talks with the uae we are in talks with japan we are in talks with france with germany we already do some stuff with the us and i'm talking all of these in africa only so it's like nothing new in terms of uh, aagc asia africa growth corridor yes uh, it's an initiative of india and japan back in 2017 but as of now the discussions you know it's still uh, still restricted to only you know the business to business talks uh, it's still not come up uh, you know any no particular projects at least has been identified there i mean some projects have been identified in the private in in terms of in the business sector, but uh, it they have not come up, come out, come up uh, with it in open as of now. Uh, but I think with Japan, I mean, we are going to collaborate going forward. And with the European Union, see, the problem is that I mean, yes, the, but the problem is the funds and you know identifying specific projects. I mean, that's where that's where China, you know, China does China does so well, because it has the boots on the ground. It's known to deliver fast, uh, is, is known to implement projects in a very timely uh, manner. Yes, the quality of products, uh, quality of infrastructure, that's another debate altogether. But if you just look at it from a like a African perspective, you are seeing Chinese boots on the ground. So naturally, I mean, you will be welcoming of it. Whereas uh, Global Gateway Initiative or AAGC, even, I mean, no particular projects are being identified. Nothing is moving on those fronts. So naturally, you know, it's like the grasp of it or, you know, people getting excited about it. It's reducing down. But uh, that is not to say it's not going to revive back again. It, it is going to and with the global gateway as well. Like, yes, I mean, I'm certain I'm certain we already do some capacity building work with, you uh, know, Uni- I mean, we do a lot of capacity building work with the United Kingdom government and also with uh, uh, Germany as well. Uh, and France, you know, it's a very important uh, maritime security partner also for India in the Indian Ocean or in the Western Indian Ocean region. So, initially infrastructure with Japan, of course, Japan is known as the norm setter when it comes to quality infrastructure. So, with Japan, also we will we will identify some projects. You know, some maybe for example like a, a a port, a Kenyan ports modernization, maybe Mombasa port. We are. Modernizing its infrastructure, or something, or cyber security is another area um, which again has enormous potential. So these are all areas. Uh, as of now, uh, the, that's the problem with uh, initiatives like Global Gateway and all. It's just, it's just that I mean, yes, it was uh, released very enthusiastically, but look at it now. I mean, where is where is the funding? What projects are on the ground? What where is the ball rolling? So that's the main problem, and. In terms of specifically you know you asked about indian um indian infrastructure financing in the continent uh now there has been a shift basically uh there has been a very strong focus a uh, private sector focus uh which we have seen in the uh, in the recent years and this year's uh cii exim bank uh, india africa conclave uh for good partnership that also like in the talks which ensued there it that thing came up that okay that Indian private companies they are very increasingly they are you know uh, exploring innovative ways of financing you know like that can be you know that can be blended financing or the PPP model which is widely considered to be the best uh best model for infrastructure development and even like things like pension funds and all as well in in addition to blended finance etc so India basically like We have a very long stand. We have always had a long-standing aim to, you know, export, you know, Indian innovations or, in specifically, in in information technology, in IT, even in digital technology, and also like skill and knowledge transfer. And only in the last, uh, you know, five, six, seven years or so that uh, it has received a serious push. uh, Whereas, like nowadays, we are seeing that the Indian private sector it has, uh, it is like. Actively looking to play a major role in the African continent, so the interest is there certainly. So, which is exciting time.
2: The reason why the reason why I emphasized on this was because like there has been like in the past few years, repeated comments saying that India wants to be part of all these projects, but India doesn't fund enough because it's a still a smaller economy. It has its own domestic commitments in terms of development initiatives. That is why I was kind of, so uh, with the growing economy of India, as you said, perhaps India will try to commit more in terms of financing and big projects. Perhaps.
1: Yeah. So see, I mean, see, infrastructure is not the, like, see, when you talk about infrastructure, you think of Japan, right? So when you talk of infrastructure, or Japan or China, for that matter, uh, but when you talk about US or India, I mean, if, let's leave the US, let's talk about India. When we talk about India, we think of, capacity building we think of human resource development so that is why all these like innovative ways of financing is important whereas okay suppose uh, uh, we decide india and uh, japan and uh, uk uh, decide to do a project in suppose say kenya for example some some project now india is known for its human resource and capacity building so we will look into look after that side United Kingdom to uh, DFID and all it can maybe fund the program and Japan can probably chip in in the sense that it can build the infrastructure. And after the suppose the project is done, then Indian, you know, Indian uh, personnel can can stay back for a year or two years in that African country in that setting and teach the locals, okay, how to use this uh, machine, or how to manage this uh, project like that. So that will be a complete uh, that's an example of how a uh, completely successful trilateral project will look like you can't expect just India only to go and you know to fund it also to construct it also I mean we don't have that l- the kind of money which China does right so so we need to be much more like uh, clever about all these like projects and come up with more trilateral projects and we are in fact like we we are taking a step in the right direction towards that we are uh, there are certain projects which have are being discussed and once they will be once they will come out in the media i'm certain that many people are going to be excited about that you know in terms of both connectivity capacity building development in east africa especially great
0: so um to conclude i just have one quick question which is specifically on peacekeeping in africa and the unsc presidency which is coming up and this is a very quick question so the question is this uh this one month will just go down swiftly. Swiftly, I know that it's already December second uh, in India right now. But um, as this presidency will stay the Security Council one, um, from a peacekeeping aspect in Africa, um, sh- do should we expect anything unique? Or, you know, specifically devi- deviated from the Indian side on you know security issues in Africa? Anything which we we must look out for?
2: Just a small complimentary question to it, like yeah. uh, in conclusion, because he is talking about security and peacekeeping. Uh, where does India-France security cooperation in the African region stand in vis-a-vis peacekeeping in Africa? Because uh, France, sorry, uh, India-France. Uh, I mean, France security cooperation in Africa. Because France is a world player there, and it is also has uh, its own territories in the Western Indian Ocean. So what are India
1: and Africa together doing in security terms or peacekeeping terms? Thank you. Yeah, so, see, uh, it, I mean, India is, has al- is be, always been one of the largest troop-contributing countries when it comes to United Nations peacekeeping missions in Africa. Uh, but, I mean, currently, I believe there are around, uh, around 5,500 to 6,000 Indian personnel uh, deployed there, varying... Uh, blue helmets and the rhetoric behind it is that like you know i mean both india and africa we do believe that peace and security it's like a in peace and security is intrinsic to achieve any sort of economic development without one the other can't be achieved now that being said and the fact that we have india has had a quite a like rich history of uh, deployment peacekeeping deployment but nowadays like you know like the challenges are also getting more sophisticated in the sense that Questions of sovereignty arises. Uh, there is like questions of legitimacy in terms of okay, do we even need any more peacekeeping in so-and-so country, XYZ country? And apart from these, uh, these challenges, then the practical challenges are there. Oh, how many, how many forces should we de- deploy? Where where should we deploy? Which region in northwest or northeast or southeast? Or like, like those kind of operational challenges as well. And recently, what we have seen is those kind of operational challenges are coming up across coming out very frequently i mean more frequently than how much we would like so that is why there i mean right now it's a big debate which is going on like uh that should from maybe maybe for example is a is a security peacekeeping force security required still in somalia now for a for an observer like us and all from the you know, from the outside we will say that oh yeah yeah of course why i mean somalia is a like if you say it's a very troubled country it's, it's very unstable country uh, so why not yes uh peacekeeping forces helps but then there will be then the other then the, there's the other side of the debate as well that uh then what about sovereignty has it outlasted its uh, relevance all these deployments and etc it's the same with anti-piracy patrols as well like what started way back in 2004 5 or 8 it's continuing right it's still continuing till date indian warships are there chinese warships are there French, us etc et everything is there but piracy now has shifted from east africa or so gulf of aden to um, to the niger delta on the west african coast on so the atlantic coast those are much more like troubled waters so these are all like ongoing debates i mean right now there is a challenge uh, to you know the requirements of peacekeeping forces or or where are they should be deployed but but in terms of like specifically what India will do, India will officially like support United continue to support sending by sending troops to UN peacekeeping forces in Africa, some regulatory, some, uh, some specific uh, changes needs to be made in terms of, okay, let's only focus in this area, or let's not focus, let's not go in that, that area, like something like those kinds of changes will keep on happening. But broadly, in terms of India's uh, effort to, you know, send peacekeeping uh participate in all these unp peacekeeping missions in africa that is not going to change that is going to stay the same and secondly with france uh, france again a very very important partner uh, but uh, with france all the security related cooperation is has been its uh, limited to maritime security but uh, maritime security is only like i think a very important in, in that region especially given what china plans to do uh, or it's trying to do there now we have seen that yes um, uh, there's a french overseas department territory called reunion island uh right in between uh you know Mauritius stations in that region so naturally then i mean it's uh and india india and france i mean recently we have uh we have conducted uh you know our maritime uh poseidon uh, maritime uh, reconnaissance aircraft uh that we conducted joint drills. it's not even coordinated like this is important it's not even coordinated it was joint patrols so joint patrol basically it signifies that in the both from the indian side and the french side we started from the planning execution stage etc was done together whereas coordinated i mean you know the the people to people connect in in a joint exercise is much more rather than a coordinated exercise coordinated exercise may be you know like okay india will handle this this side maybe india will Indian navy will look at maybe the tabletop exercises whereas french navy can look at some other aspect of it but when it comes to joint exercises that means both are doing together from start to finish so from conceptualizing to execution so we are we are doing that we conduct bilateral varuna maritime exercises as well Uh, france is a like strategic partner in terms of maritime security Uh, france india and france we have the same vision also for the indo-pacific for the indo-pacific we both believe that the indo pacific uh, you know stretches from you know mount kilimanjaro to hollywood it's not from bollywood to hollywood it's from kilimanjaro to hollywood so from the east coast of africa to <clears throat> asia pacific so uh, so yes yeah, so france uh, in terms of maritime security the opportunities are immense and it's very strong as of right now if i can just sum it up with one word it's it's at its peak right now and it's only going to again it's increase going forward because we have the same vision for the indian ocean and the most important development which took place in terms of Indian France is that, uh, like uh, how India in 2020 we uh, became an observer to this uh, Indian Ocean Commission uh, with French support. So Indian Ocean Commission is a tiny sub-regional organization which only which has uh, five six members. That is the island nations of you know like Comoros, Madagascar, Mauritius, Seychelles, Réunion. Uh, France is, I mean, through reunion, obviously then France also becomes a member and now India in 2020 with French support, uh, India also became a observer state, uh, observer country to the Indian ocean commission. Whereas in, in reciprocity, now we have allowed France to become a full permanent member of Indian ocean river association, Iora recently, and through France's inclusion in Iora, basically now it has become a resident power of Indian ocean. It's not unlike. Forget China, even the US is a non-resident power of Indian Ocean. China and US are non-resident extra extraterritorial powers, whereas France and India are Indian Ocean-resident power. So that is a testament to the you know strong part, maritime security partnership which India enjoys with France. Yeah,
0: I think it was Thank an interesting you. discussion. And uh, um, as we are concluding, um, Uh, I I would urge people to go to BharatPacific.com as we will release this uh, session on Spotify and Anchor as well. Um, I'll thank Abhishek for uh, this interview. Uh, Thanks for coming up. And we'd be happy to host you again in our, you know, discussions, maybe on something related to India and Africa again. I honestly consider that, like you rightly pointed out, the Indian and Western media just, you know, I'd say ignore it or pounce it upon whatever interesting happens in Africa. And I think we should talk about it. It's an interesting continent. It's a continent which is impactful for us. And I think we should keep having discussions on at least two regions, which I consider which we less discuss you know, in the mainstream. First is Africa, and second is Latin America. So uh, it's certainly a pleasure to have you. And thanks so much, Abhishek.
1: Thank you, Abhivatan. Thank you, Abhi you. you Aritya. Uh, thank you for having me. thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. And thank you for the questions and look forward to uh, coming back again. So uh, speaking with you, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you very much.